0: I don't really think it matters why we are the way we are. Mm -hmm. Like did God intend for people to be born gay or was that the product of like very early childhood parenting? It doesn't really matter by the time that we're 11 years old and realize our bodies are tingling around people of the same sex. It doesn't really matter how we got there. What's true is that it cannot be changed and that it is, fundamentally harmful and damaging to be told that the way that you give and receive love and experience intimacy is wrong and sinful and bad and that you have to suppress it and say no every single time throughout your life that you feel a desire to hold hands with someone to kiss someone to snuggle with someone to build a life with someone and so to me it's just the born this way question is just really beside the point.
1: Taking me too long to recover. How go feed the sick and poor and try to help the world to
2: recover? What is going on there, you? Yeah, you with the ear pods in, listening to the show. Welcome back. I'm Seth. I'm happy that you're here. Quick, brief announcement. I have added maybe two or three new designs into the store for the show. If you want to head over to the website at canisaythisatchurch.com, check those out. I'm happy with them. Uh, My daughters are happy with them, and they both want one. My son's happy with it, so I feel like I've hit a good demographic there. So, yeah, make that happen. I mean, you have to wear clothes anyway, right? Like, you may as well have on some Can I Say This At Church so today, or tonight, whenever you happen to be listening, I have Julie Rogers on the show. Her story is, I guess, known. She has been involved in many ministries and organizations, etc. Uh, most recently was involved or featured or had her story touched on in the documentary on Netflix called Pray Away, which I will say is a good, uh, good use of your time. But more importantly, she wrote a book, and it is... It is a rough book to read through. I've found myself putting it down multiple times. I've I've read it more than once. It um. It is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um. Sobering. So Julie weaves a story that is a uh, like a clarion call. For so many people that are just ambiguous about their thoughts and don't use their brain to support and love people that they live in community with and it's a memoir about love and hurt and loss and hope and it is wonderful i'm not doing it justice now i will say in the show we do not dive specifically into detail on the book and you'll hear kind of why as you listen through on the show however I don't want to wait any longer. And so here we go. Roll the tape with Julie Rogers. Um. Julie Rogers, I think I've I've been trying to find a way to connect with you for about four months and most of that's my fault, not yours. I went on vacation and I jettisoned the podcast life for three months on summer break because I'm a dad and you know, you got to do what you got (laughs) to do. But I am very excited to talk to you tonight. Um, I've read your book actually, so two times. So I read it on the way to Texas to visit my mom a few weeks ago because I had a four hour layover in Houston twice, Whoa. once to Whoa. Midland and once back. So that was fun, but it gave me time to do some other things. I had intended to edit a couple episodes of the podcast and forgot my hard drive. So that didn't happen. So oh. a reread of your text was, was up for order, but I'm glad that you're here. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Seth. It's really great to be here. And um, I'm from Texas, so I guess we share some roots there.
2: We do. So I'm from Midland, Texas, which is way west than Tomball. I think it's Tomball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is outside of Houston, right?
0: It is. Yeah. It was Tomball and then the Dallas area.
2: Yeah. So my brother yeah, lives, Midland. my brother and, and sister live right in Denton um, mm. area up in, up in Dallas now. Um, and for those of you listening that have no idea how big Texas is, so Tomball to Midland's like nine hours.
0: Yeah. You could get to Denver, Colorado Right, um, like quicker than Midland from Dallas. Yeah,
2: it's a big, it's a big state. So anyway, Google it. I'll put a thing in the transcript. You can just click it here, and we'll. Anyway, it happened. So <laughs> when when you want to tell people what and who you are, like how do you describe yourself?
0: Oh, I would say I am Julie. I am a cat mom. I am a writer. Oh, you made a face. I'm allergic, so. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> wow, the universe was not kind to you. Um, so I have two cats, Prince and Toby. I am a writer, and I wrote a book about my experience growing up gay in evangelical communities. And I am a closet CrossFitter. I love working out, and I love you say to closet do CrossFitter mostly isn't that an
2: oxymoron like every crossfitter i've ever met
0: like very often i just felt led to share that with you (laughs) and um, i don't admit it because of the way people are so enthusiastic about it but (laughs) here i am sharing this with you and i just love i love working out and i love communities and it's fun to do all that together those are a few things about me
2: yeah yeah no I'm i'm a miniature dachshund person um and and i don't mind looking at cats i'm happy that they're outside and i'm my my mom has a cat. I just I can't breathe around cats. And so I I, I prefer oxygen over over felines. Though yeah, I'm glad that yeah. you I'm glad that you yeah. like the cats. Love anyway. Them. So I have kind of a running theme anytime I talk to someone from Texas, and it's important to me, almost as important as football or or God. You've traveled quite a bit, and, and as people should buy your book, and honestly, they should buy the book. Um we'll talk about that in a bit. But you traveled quite a bit, and so I have to feel that you have had the ability to choose in and out burger or Whataburger in your travels. And I just need to know which is, which is better. But I only ask people from Texas because everyone else's opinion just holds less, less weight there. I
0: feel there. like I would only choose, I would choose Whataburger. Um, I would say in and out is just overrated. Like, Whataburger burger is is good it's fine but also so is In-N-Out and because In-N-Out is so like widely acclaimed and falls so far short I just feel like I would rather go for the one that, like go for the underdog.
2: <laughs> I can tell you so I went back and I had a little bit when I was there a few weeks ago and at, when you don't have it for 15 years it, there's some nostalgia that makes the the flavor really pump mm, up even really in the odd. airport in Houston you know you mm. get that, that anyway mm-hmm. has nothing to do with anything. I, I know that you did not come on here to talk about that, but it has become <laughs> it has become a thing. Only only one guest has got a little bit hateful about it, and that's okay because mm. I left it in the edit. He knows who he is. We're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna play games with that. So questions about your book. So the book is Out Love: A Queer Christian Survival Story, and even that I, I kind of wanted to start there. So. Let me just say, firstly, that I'm actually fairly nervous to have this conversation because your story is extremely honest. A lot of people will talk about the theology of LGBTQ stuff, and they'll talk about this, and will talk about that, so like they talk around it. But outside of, I'm assuming changed names, like these are really personal stories in your book. And so, why does it exist? Like that's a lot to put yourself out there like that in text that will be available a lot longer than things on the Google, if you know how to search. Like, so, so why?
0: So I, my mom took me to an ex-gay organization when I came out at 16. I was a part of those communities for almost 10 years. And then I was a part of like the celibate sort of gay community for several years after that. So really from the age of 16 until 30, I was entrenched in queer communities queer Christian communities where they weren't like allowed to really be gay. Mm -hmm. And like, they weren't fully affirmed and they saw, they were told that they're who they were intrinsically their desires, their love, um, the way in which they're wired to give and receive love, that all that was wrong and bad and sinful and that they were broken. So I saw for 14 years of the most like formative years of my life, the damage that caused and how it led so many people I love to utter self-loathing and self-hatred. And I felt like I, I wanted people to understand. I wanted people to see. I thought, like surely if Christians could just knew, if they understood, they wouldn't continue teaching and believing this. And so I thought by telling my own story and just giving a window into what I've seen, that it might move people to see the humanity of a lot of other people that I know and love.
2: What has been since the book released and you'll have to forgive me. I honestly can't remember when it released. What has kind of been the feedback from people as they've read it?
0: Surprisingly positive. I feel I've heard a lot of people say I'm asking different questions now. Mm. Uh, This is really powerful and moving and I'm asking new questions, which is about the best thing I could hope for from people who might see things differently than me. And a lot of people uh, say they feel less alone, that they, whether they're queer or not, they really resonated with an experience of feeling different or asking questions that made them feel like alienated from their faith communities. And the, the most moving thing is to hear from other people, queer people in conservative Christian communities who are saying like, for the first time, I feel like, A sense of hope and a sense of possibility for a positive future. Mm. And I hadn't been able to imagine that before.
2: Yeah. At the very beginning, like literally, I think it's like page two. It's not, it's page four. I've underlined this a couple of times actually in two different pens. So I must have underlined it both times I read the book. Um, So you, you write in here and I'd like you to just break apart what you mean when you say good and kind of how that has been culturally co-opted by I guess evangelicalism, but there's probably a lot of words that you could put there. So you're talking about, you know, where I come from, good kids aren't gay. And all I wanted was to be good. So what do you mean good?
0: I wanted to be somebody who made my parents proud, who the people, you know, at church potluck's, was somebody worthy of acceptance and approval. And I wanted the leaders. My, I wanted the approval of the leaders in my community, the pastors, the teachers. And I wanted, yeah, I wanted to be, I would, yeah, I wanted them to be proud of me, mm. not just tolerate me.
2: I read that and I feel like that sentence works for so many things. Outside of even sexuality, maybe that's why I underlined it a couple times. Even though it's in a book related to that, because like, I read that and I, I am not gay in any way, shape, or form. But I also have those same longings of you know um, I'm I don't know, but I know how the I know how Texas church culture is, and so I know the expectation of people, just humans, of here's what you do. Shoot, matter of fact, when I went to visit recently, um, a Sunday school teacher asked me what my thoughts were on critical race theory because I must live close to Loudon County here in Virginia. And I was like, "It is. First off, my name is Seth. It is fantastic to meet you. I, I understand wow. you know my mom, and I, I, I don't believe that I live in Loudon County. So you know what I mean. So but, but, good has expectations for mm. sexuality, for political views, for the way that you know, for everything.
1: Yeah. This gets into an interesting
0: point too around um, identity in Christ. One of the biggest challenges I've gotten." by being openly gay in the church, uh, as people will say, well, why are you placing your identity in your, in your sexuality? Why aren't you finding your identity in Christ? And it's a really bizarre thing. And, and at first you're like, okay, well, what is an identity in Christ? Because like straight people aren't told they're finding their identity in their sexuality when they say they're straight. So it clearly doesn't just mean that. And then the more I started thinking of it, the more I realized that it, Um, I was at, I was at the village church one time, this big sort of like hit mega church in, Mm -hmm. in Dallas. And there was a video, uh, where a, a guy, a black, uh, a black member of the village was talking about sort of like black lives matter. And he was saying, you know, he was talking to some degree about like racial injustice, but he said, you know, the most important thing isn't that I'm black. It's that I am. Christian, I'm a son of God, and I am finding my identity in Christ before being black. And I just thought, like, this is interesting. Like, why is it just in these communities? Why is the scene as separate? And it feels like only like queer folks or black folks or people who, like, only certain kinds of people have to separate those out Mm. and rank them. And I just don't hear somebody like Matt Chandler say that he doesn't find his identity, you know, like he gets to say he's straight and white and not find his identity in that. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I used to listen to a lot of Matt Chandler quite a bit. And, and as the years have gone, so again, we don't, we referenced earlier, we don't really know each other at at all. Um, So I went to Liberty after leaving Texas and then, yeah, so there we go. Um, Don't think I could go back to Liberty. Matter of fact, I encourage everyone that I speak to, to, to not study theology at Liberty, if you, if you can. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, I get that. And I, I can remember there's a few distinct sermons. And I, I realized one week, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago, I just liked the way that he preached, but not what he was preaching, like the mm. cadence, the delivery. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyway, so um, yeah. I do have a question. It's not ultimately very serious, but I, I'd never heard anybody describe a job this way. And so you were talking about, where is this at? So we're in chapter eight, talking about getting with an organization called Q. And you say in here, talking about the men there, they have successful companies, they have influence. It's like the evangelical elite. So I guess for some context, like we'll call it like Charlie Kirk and you know the people like that today. But you say that in the past, You'd never made more than forty thousand in a year, and all your jobs had allowed you to wear jeans and a T-shirt, which I really like because I have to wear a suit every day for work. I work at a bank, but I'm curious if if that is a, is a, is a is an interview thing for you just just for some levity there, like jeans and a T-shirt is that is that a deal breaker for a position? Um, I like how serious you're considering this question. Hi. <laughs>
0: I was just thinking about what I was talking about, where I was when I wrote that. And I think, like, I've been in Christian ministry. I worked in a nonprofit with high school students. And before that, I was in this food service industry. And it was just interesting to me, the sort of, like, class difference I felt, if I can say that. and evangelicalism it was like oh i'm with the spiritual leaders but i was also with a certain kind of like elite when i entered into that scene Mm -hmm. a certain like assumption of like money and power and how you present yourself and it was just interesting to note because it wasn't necessarily about just about spirituality or religion it was about lots of other things
2: that's not an organization that i'm very familiar with does it still exist i didn't google it Mm -hmm. i have no idea
0: yeah. It's it's actually, uh, they get really prominent speakers every year. So like, I don't know, people like Lecrae or...
2: Is it like TED, but for Christians? Yeah.
0: It's TED for Christians. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
2: I don't know how I feel about that. That's yeah.
0: okay. Yeah.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if you could speak a bit on, for those listening, because I get emails and questions from many people, predominantly because I am overtly uh, inclusive in almost everything enough. And even in, in, with close friends and family. And I have a constant argument about the way that people are created. Um, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm curious if you could speak a bit for people that are questioning that of, well, but my church tells me this, my pastor tells me this, that there's no way I could have been born this way. There's no way that X, Y, or Z could happen. That's just not the way that, that creation works. I'm curious if you could say anything about that.
0: I don't really think it matters why we are the way we are. Mm -hmm. Like did God intend for people to be born gay or was that the product of like very early childhood parenting? It doesn't really matter by the time that we're 11 years old and realize our bodies are tingling around people of the same sex. It doesn't really matter how we got there. What's true is that it cannot be changed and that it is fundamentally harmful and damaging to be told that the way that you give and receive love and experience intimacy is wrong and sinful and bad and that you have to suppress it and say no every single time throughout your life that you feel a desire to hold hands with someone to kiss someone to snuggle with someone to build a life with someone And so to me, it's just the born this way question is just really beside the point. It's like, how do we thrive now that we're here and what leads to healthy outcomes and what leads to uh, harm?
2: Yeah. In your opinion, having conversations with people, what is a more effective approach to have an honest conversation with no intent to sway someone one way or another? Because I don't think you can, I, I honestly think. And I feel like I read this somewhere that if you try to force people to your viewpoint, you just further entrench them in their own. And so what is the best way for, for people on both sides or even in the middle of the aisle to figure out how to have conversations around sexuality and theology and everything else kind of going forward in a way that maybe is productive.
1: I think it's
0: important to look at the fruit of your beliefs in the real world. And so we know that youth who are subjected to teaching that says they need to, to deny their queerness and seek to become straight are twice as likely to have attempted suicide in Mm. this last year than those who weren't. Mm. So that's a, that's a very clear direct correlation. And I think we can look at Jesus and we can look at the scriptures and see that Jesus broke some of the rules in the Bible in the name of honoring the the dignity and humanity of human beings who were in front of him, whether that was moving toward women, toward lepers, toward people who were seen as scandalous and unclean and saying, you are wanted and you're beautiful and I delight in you. And I think that's a really important model for people to sit with and to say, should I value the words written down in a book Two thousand years ago that there are endless truly infinite ways to interpret in endless different ways or the the human being before me especially when there's clear correlation between mental health outcomes for a vulnerable population and uh, teaching about their humanity and and dignity
2: yeah i want to talk a bit about your time at wheaton college And the reason being is, and and I wrote it on a couple pages, and I don't want to lambast Wheaton College. I know very little about Wheaton College except for Dr. John Walton, who I find is a brilliant person in his field. That's all I know about Wheaton College. And I feel like they're also the college that had the issue with the professor wearing a hijab that
1: Mm -hmm. now works
2: for UVA. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm fine with that. She's closer here and... You know, I'm glad that she's here because that, that benefits the community that I live in. It just feels like, as I've read through the bulk of the book, that there is just an underlying theme of manipulation of your story and people like you from every level at all times. Is that, is that fair?
0: It felt that way. It felt like there were some people who really wanted to support me and, and LGBTQ people, and they wanted to be kinder and more loving. And when push came to shove, if they had to choose between managing their image or a narrative, or sort of the conversation around uh, theology and ethics, if it came down to choosing that or just loving and supporting me and other queer people, they were they continually chose their own sort of agenda, for lack of a better word.
2: Yeah. Outside of and and I. And the reason I'm trying to ask questions in a different way is from what I gather, you get asked the same question 97 times on all of these podcasts. And I'm not interested in that because honestly, a lot of those questions are answered in the book and people should buy the text um, and read it. Cause the answers that you give are in, in brief. So I'm, I'm trying to be intentional with the questions that I ask. Well, that's um,
0: generous. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it, I don't know. Anyway, um, but that makes it makes things <laughs> a little bit more difficult. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question. So you have a line in here and it talks about where is it at? So you're talking about the end of, of Wheaton, I believe. And there's a line at the end where you say, how do you prepare how do you prepare yourself for the end of the only life that you've ever known? Um, which again is another sentence that I think deeply hits at a lot of people as their views on life and marriage and family and politics and Afghanistan or their sexuality or whatever that is. You've had a lifetime of experiences that many people don't experience. Can you rip that apart a bit? Like, How does one begin to prepare themselves for living on a different planet, metaphorically speaking?
0: For one, I think it's a really long process and I think it's important to start building up a community elsewhere, even if that's only one or two people who you know are going to be in it, like with you and for you on the other side of that declaration you're going to make. And I think it's important to, to know that you will survive and you'll actually thrive like you're making a decision to save your life in many ways Mm -hmm. because you were finding that that you couldn't breathe in the community or worldview that you had before and to know there are people that you've never met before who you're going to grow to love and there are places you've never been that are going to totally capture your heart and there are there's a sense of freedom and possibility that you won't be able to taste or tap into until you sort of take the plunge. And I think you have to rest in knowing that's true, even if it is going to get a lot harder for a period and you are going to feel a lot of loneliness for a period and sort of existential dread. um, It doesn't last forever. Mm. And there's more beauty on the other side of it of being able to live more authentically and um, in a more integrated way.
2: Yeah. No, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. That, that to me is among my favorite lines in the in- entire book. It's, mm. it's um, I don't know. I don't know why. Mm. I wonder if you could give a bit more context to how you begin chapter 18. And so you say that you have a growing awareness of the way that conservative Christians had grossly misrepresented queer people. Um, and how that coincides with Donald Trump's rise to power. I'm not overly concerned with Donald Trump. I'm more concerned with the misrepresentation of queer people. Um, and maybe beginning with a definition of that to begin with, because that's that's a word that gets thrown around a bit. And I'll admit my ignorance um, with a lot of that. But what what is that misrepresentation? How does it relate to politics and empire? Like where and how is that?
0: The misrepresentation, I found that white evangelicals in particular really honed in on issues like same sex relationships, uh, LGBTQ issues, and abortion to create a sense of fear in their followers. Um, and it seemed it was to sort of like mobilize them to rally behind, uh, like a Republican political agenda, Mm -hmm. because like, if you read the Bible, you're going to see, seems like a lot of the men are kind of sleeping with like everyone they're having (laughs) so much sex and there's a lot more, like God seems to be much more alarmed with money and with abuse of power Mm -hmm. and with like greed and so there's just and that's what these leaders these leaders embody that like especially you know looking at trump and some of the like jerry falwells
1: Mm.
0: they truly embody like the seven deadly sins all of them and it's just breathtaking that vulnerable people are scapegoated uh, for things that the Bible doesn't in any way uh, prioritize as the most significant. So I can't help but feel like there's, and I don't think it's the people in the pews that are making this decision or this negotiation and that they're just like bad and don't like gay people. I think that it's it starts with people that have an agenda kind of like the those like the intelligentsia, the leaders, And then it trickles on down to pastors who are preaching this in the churches and they're twisting script. They're like weaving in scripture to go with it. So then people like my mom are like, oh, I guess gay people are the most disgusting people on the face of the earth. And Mm. I actually, the way to love Julie is to just like outright reject her. She didn't just wake up and, and decide that was the most loving and kind thing to do to the daughter that she loved more than anyone else in the world. She believed that because of James Dobson and Jerry Falwell Mm. and the trickle-down effect of that uh, to her community.
2: And for those that have listened to the show for some time, um, I have some episodes on those texts. That is an awful way to read scripture, not just for sexuality, (laughs) but that's just an awful way to read um, any holy text, but specifically ours. Been enough weeks. You know what that sound means. 15, 30 seconds tops. I'm going to be back in just a second.
1: That's how I learned to make exclusion look like love.
2: What does someone do that hears that and they're like, yeah, I need to talk about that and push my church or talk to my pastor or my elders or my deacons. How do you do so respectfully without causing the ninety? first or 90, I think you say there's 90,000 something denominations. How do I make it not 90,000 in one? Cause we're spinning off again. We're doing the thing or without it just exploding the local church body. Um, cause that community is, is, is valuable has, has purpose.
0: I think that's where stories come in handy. It's one of the reasons I wrote this book um, sharing the stories of the actual human beings we're talking about feels really important as a starting place for pastoral care. Mm -hmm. And I think if there are LGBTQ people who are open in the community, like bringing them in and listening to their voices and like genuinely consulting them to say, like, how do you experience this community? And like, are there ways that you feel like, you wish you were you were supported or plugged in that you don't have access to. And chances are there's not many openly gay people in those communities, in which case, like reading books like mine or blogs and and actually just seeking out um, our experiences and stories, I think, is a good inroad to deeper conversations and bigger conversations. Cause nobody's heart is changed by like suddenly reading Romans one again in a new light. (laughs) Like it's just, it's just not how this works. Uh, So yeah, I think you need to actually enter into relationships with the people.
2: Do you think that that's going to, and this is just not sarcastic or tongue in cheek. Do you honestly feel as though that will happen? Like in, in the coming say, I mean, my oldest is 12. Like, Is that a thing that's going to happen before he's 30 or is the church just going to continue to wither away because it refuses to have those conversations?
0: So this is why I think that the experiences and relationships are so important. I found with like students at Wheaton, uh, straight students were much more inclined to be open to fully affirming LGBTQ people because there were openly LGBTQ people in their circles. Mm. And so they were like, wow, like, You know, Jimmy's my friend and I know he's a good guy and he seems healthier and happier when he's around people who just tell him that God loves him and that God delights in the way he is and the way he gives and receives love. And so they were just more inclined to be like affirming and supportive. And I found a lot of people like that were a part of my circles for like a long, long time have been able to move with me as they've, they've watched me and just sort of seen my story unfold. So I think there's always going to be a contingent of, of a contingent of people who you know believe that women need to submit in the house and in the church, and you know, in the same way, there will be people who don't believe that I am as worthy of love as as their straight kids. But um, I think that there will continue to be a lot of people who are moved the more they're exposed to LGBTQ christians
2: what is your relationship with you know the church now or organized religion for lack of a better word
0: so i'm a teaching fellow at this community that i love it's my favorite sort of like christian institution kind of thing right now that i'm a part of it's called the faith and justice network out of city church in san francisco and um they are it's a it's a nine month long program where people are encountering texts by like womanist theologians or um, sociologists talking about sort of like the the roots of race and racism in cities in the U S or um, reading Barbara Brown Taylor about you know like nurturing sort of our our spiritual spiritual lives with god and and just is it's sort of seeking a more expansive vision of christian spirituality that isn't reactive and isn't fueled by rage or cynicism that actually believes that there's something beautiful here and that religion and christianity can help us become more like generous people who Hmm. are driven by love over fear and so I love that community. And I go to Episcopal church, I go to the Episcopal church often and love sort of the liturgy and the structure in the sense that I can step into something that, um, you know, these prayers have been prayed for over 2000 years and that I can let it wash over me and sort of carry me um, in the weeks when I myself don't necessarily believe the, those words. Mm. And find that over time it's like produce good fruit in me and i think that matters
2: yeah i feel like it's in barbara's actual her last book she said something about that like faith is when your community like faith is is when you can set you aside your doubts and fears and allow your community to carry your faith for you while you rest recuperate re review i don't mean review and hyphen, review uh, what your what your thoughts on God are. And then when you're able, they just give you back the torch. Here you go. We carry this mm-hmm. for you. We've got you. We never forgot you. Um, I forget where it is, but it's, it's in one of those mm-hmm. texts there. It's um, really beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's Barbara. Barbara's <laughs> freaking amazing. Um, I love her. <laughs> yes. Uh, she has a way with words. Um, so just a couple other questions. So what do you feel like people not clergy not the ministers should be allowed to say in church and if we don't um it will it will just continue to be hospice care for the pastors that lead those churches
0: i think people need to be allowed to say hey the bible is like a really complicated text and it definitely there's so much for us to glean from it and it's it's truly inspired and important, and we need to value the human beings that are created in God's image that Jesus uh, came to be with. Uh, We need to value them more than our interpretations of this ancient text and to, to challenge people when they find that there are beliefs that are causing harm that are debatable. Mm. that aren't necessarily that that are just rooted in in bigotry and uh, you know might be rooted in bigotry because this is a text written over 2000 years in a wildly different context
2: yeah how is and this is a, probably more of a personal question than you want to answer and so feel free to not if you don't want to but throughout the act of of writing this book um and and reliving and and working through those those stories and emotions how has your relationship with God changed from the beginning to the end, from cover to cover?
0: I think at the beginning, you know, let's say five years ago, I was really worried about like, oh, I might lose my faith or I might miss out on a relationship with God or what God's doing in the world. And now I feel like the, like God holds me and God holds the world and, and faith and holds me and that this is here for me um, as a resource to grow in love and kindness. And it's not something that's like I'm in or out of, it's just something that's always available for Mm -hmm. me to, to be nourished by so that I can, Make the world a little bit of a gentler place than it was yesterday.
2: Mm, I like that. Um, so, last question. Um, and then, and then just a couple quick follow up things that have nothing to do with the episode. Um, so, when you try to wrap words around God, when you say what that is, what is that?
0: I think God is where we come from, what we're here for, the source of love, the source of beauty, the source of light, the source of hope and possibility, um, the source of breath. And I think God is the generative force in the world that is um, also the one bringing out, bringing about like justice and redemption in a really sad world and that it's really not so important that we know details about that god as much as it is that we remain receptive to all that god wants seems to want to do in and through us
2: Mm. Mm. i like that where so and yeah i don't even know how to say this so I have, have have skirted around many of the topics in your book, but people should buy it. I'll link to all that in thank all you. of the places that you yeah, th- th- should. Thank you. Um, and let me, so I, I was going to say this after I wasn't recording. I'll say it anyway. Normally, I am overtly going at theology. And so there's like a distance between me and the topic, if that makes sense, because there's like something in between. And I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. adequately explaining that well, but I feel like questioning someone's, about stories that are so personal that's why i'm actually like i'm fairly tense i don't know if you can see it or not um because i i want to handle your your you've written them but still it feels Mm. almost as though it's an intrusion even though it's published in a book i don't know if that makes sense at all so um but and so hopefully people listening you should read the book and you should purchase the book but where do you want people to go to do the things that they should be doing in the world and on whatever, where where do people do the things?
0: I want people to listen to voices in their life. that are like humble and who are comfortable with a lot of room for mystery and who are open to being changed and being moved by the actual like humans in their lives. And especially when those humans are different from them and when they're more vulnerable and when they are kind of somewhere on the margins of of our society. And I want them to take joy in that and to not feel fear because we see that God all throughout scripture is continually for people who are sort of like pushed down and Mm -hmm. uh, pushed out. And so you're actually even if it feels uncomfortable and scary and you don't know the right lingo or the right words, it's a, it's a really good and holy place to be and entering into relationships with people uh, who have been cast aside or pushed out. And it's a a place that um, creates such a a possibility for, for new life.
2: Mm. Mm. And if they want to, so I love that answer. The question I was asking is, where do you want people to go if they want to follow you, buy the book, do the things oh, related
1: to you? Oh, um, like, but it is a fantastic answer.
2: Yeah, no. Like, where do you want people to plug Plug the things that oh, you need to plug? I just wanted to give you that, well, that space cool. if you'd like yeah. to.
0: I think like anywhere that they, if they want to go to my website, julierodgers.com. They can, it links to like my Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. It's an easy way to keep up with me. It also links to my newsletter, which is where I think I'm doing the most interesting stuff because mm. I get to talk about things that aren't just like my trauma and sort of like, I call it queer reflections on faith, public life, and chosen family. And I just get to sort of imagine all the ways that like by nature of being in a body like mine in the world, um, all the ways that's a gift and what is possible to all of us that I only know because I grew up gay.
2: I said no more questions, but I lied. What <laughs> do you mean chosen family?
0: So my family of origin um, has mostly like rejected me, outright rejected me. And I found that that for so long was like this, this that felt like the saddest thing. Like I would cease to exist if that happened. But I found that there are all these other people out there, whether it's like friends or just like sweet old women who come across my work or, um, you know, like former colleagues who have really chosen me and said, like, I'm in this with you and I'm not going anywhere and I've chosen them. And maybe I'm like a godparent to their kid now, Hmm. or maybe we spend holidays together, but we're in it. And, um, I found that to be much more reliable than just like, Oh, you were born and share like this blood relation.
2: Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought that's where you go. I just wasn't wanted to be sure. I get that. I have a a close group of friends that if we don't speak every day, we speak every day. Um, they're, they're my people. Um, yeah, yeah. So I get that hundred percent get that Julie. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I have no idea what time zone you're in, but I know that it's late for you either way. So I appreciate your time. And, um, and yeah, Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much. It was really great chatting, Seth. I appreciate it.
2: So in Julie's book, Out Love, at about the middle, it's actually on page 171, so slightly over the middle, there's a line that has really stuck with me. And I think that it is a good sentence to focus on and thought to center on as we enter into stages of our lives that are stressful and worrying and fearful. And we're told that we're not allowed to be in that stage. We're not allowed to be what we need to be in the time that we live in. And that goes for more than gender and sexuality. It goes for so many different things. However, the line that Julie has written here is, how do you prepare yourself for the end of the only life you've ever known? And I have thought about that line weekly since I read it, and it has stuck with me. Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows, not always in real time but i do my best and if you go back in the logs you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like the show is recorded and edited by me but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show that is one of the best if not the best way that you can support the show if you get anything at all out of these episodes if you think on them or if you you know you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or hey mom dad brother sister friend boss pastor here's what i heard what are your thoughts on that If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. I am thankful that our world has voices like Julie's in it, and countless others. They're a beacon of hope and light. Now for you, I pray that you are blessed, and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon.
1: church what have we done but there is hope somewhere to go someone to